A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. morning, everybody. That scripture reading was a buzzkill. Um, uh, my name is Nathan, and I'm on uh, staff here at the church, and uh, I am a reluctant lover of Christmas. Uh, even as a kid, uh, all the decorations and the events and everything going on, they felt like just a lot of work when really all I was ever interested in was the presents. Like, why are we doing all of this just to get to the presence, and it really wasn't until I was, uh, uh, you know, until I had kids of my own that I wanted to start kind of making traditions and experiences for them that I started to get really excited about the Christmas season. But still, uh, there's a lot about the season that well, I just, I can't stand. And you know, when I tell people, man, I'm not really all that into Christmas, everyone looks at me as if I just said, I don't like dogs. <laughs> which I don't. Um, so, see, now everyone's turning now. See how it goes, right? You say that, no one cares anymore. See, I think most people assume the reason he doesn't like Christmas, well, it's because he's a contrarian, right? Or maybe you think, because I'm a pastor, it's like a, hey, this is, we got to put a Christ back into Christmas thing, which I've never been as interested in as putting Christ back into Christians. I think that's a much better goal to do. Uh, or maybe you think, hey, it's because Everything's so commercialized at Christmas. Don't you feel that way? Everything's so commercialized at Christmas. And that's not really my problem because, well, commercialism is just the world we live in. Everything's commercialized. And I don't really even think you care that much about it because the only time you tell anyone that Christmas is too commercialized is when you're on the phone with one credit card company asking if you can pay off this credit card with another credit card. It's the only time you're interested in, oh, I think it's just too commercialized, right? No, the reason that Christmas has always been a little difficult for me, and even now as an adult, it's a little difficult for me, well, it's a little overly sentimental. And not really sentimental. We kind of put a lot of fluff around things to try and get this sort of Christmas feeling. It's almost like the point of Christmas is to get a Christmas feeling. And that's what I was saying. As a parent, I get that. Because as a parent... It's what I want with my kids. I want a moment that in all the hurry and the stress, the busyness and the amount of money that you spend around Christmas time, I'd like just one Christmas moment where everything kind of falls away and it was all worth it. And that might be when you're putting up the tree and there's some Christmas music playing and you get that little Christmas feeling. Or it might be, you know, when your kid unwraps the perfect present and the look on their face and, you know, I've got this Christmas feeling right, or it might be some kind of event you go to or some tradition you have, and you hope there's going to be a moment where all of this was worth it. 
all the stress, all the busyness, all the money, there will be a moment that it all was worth it. And then because you showed up in church today, you go, and maybe Jesus will be a part of it too. Maybe, maybe we'll have a little bit of Jesus a part of it too. But what we're looking for is this one moment that'll kind of take away all the stress, all the hurry, all the busy, and everything we went through this year, man, it'll just fade away. And we'll have this Christmas moment where everything was worth it. And that sounds really good. Because that's really what we want. We want Christmas to be simple and easy because life is not simple and easy. And it'd be great if there was this one time of the year where everything was simple and easy. This is why everyone loves Hallmark Christmas movies. Not because they're really inventive. Not because they bring a lot of new to anything, but because they're simple and easy. You don't even have to pay too much attention to the plot. You can just put it on and you know what's going to happen. And they all kind of feel the same. If you don't believe me, let's watch this. Ugh, I have no service at my uncle's reindeer farm. I'm never doing construction design here ever again. Excuse me, male model chopping wood, what's the Wi-Fi password? Wait, Jeffrey, my dead brother's best friend? I, I thought you were ugly. <laughs> yes, I want to live here with you on this reindeer farm forever. It's, it's just, my dad is Santa. Okay, so maybe that's not what you're looking for, but we're all looking for some version of simple and easy. I want my Christmas moment where everything just feels worth it. But as you've already seen with our scripture reading today and with the title of our series, Messy Christmas, uh, that's not what we're talking about today. Uh, we are not talking about how do you find your Christmas moment where everything was worth it. Because often what Christmas is, is messy. Because life is messy. Because life is difficult. Christmas often ends up being this place where we mean, I really want this happy, successful, even romantic, maybe experience around Christmas time where everything just, the lights hit me right and the music hits me right. And then life happens in the middle of it and everything gets a little messy. You see, Christmas, the celebration of the birth of the true King of Kings, Jesus Christ, it is not about having a moment where all the stress and the busyness and the problems of our lives just all fade away so we have this perfect moment. Christmas is about Jesus, who the angel Gabriel promised would be Emmanuel, God, with us. Jesus said he would be God with us. Christmas is about God coming to be with us in the mess and the stress and the hurry, the worry of our lives. He wants to meet you where you are. And last week, if you remember, Jason talked about this idea that, I mean, sometimes the thing that makes it most messy is family. And then maybe you've already started to experience that over the past couple of weeks. You've got a little bit and you're like, why can't we all just have this moment at the holidays where everyone's happy with simple and easy and then family shows up and it's not quite that way. And so we just kind of want to pretend, well, let's just not talk about it. Let's not deal with that. Let's just move on and make everything simple and easy. Today, we're talking about how 
God wants to meet you, not only in the mess of your family, but in the mess of our world. Because you can't escape the messiness of life, no matter how much you don't want to think about it. And I know it's exhausting because it feels like throughout the year, every time you open up social media or every time you turn on the news, there's some thing that you have to not only care about, you have to have an opinion about. It's like everyone's like, I wonder what they think we should do in Gaza. Like, I'm really hoping to hear what they think should be going on in the Ukraine right now, right? And you feel like, man, I not only need to really care about this, I need to have an opinion about it. And so it kind of would be nice if Christmas was the one time of year I didn't have to have any thoughts about anything. And I could just kind of enjoy what was going on. That's probably why our scripture reading for today is one you don't usually hear at Christmas time. Number one, it does technically take place after the birth of Jesus, right? So do the three wise men, but we still tell, tell those. Second, it don't feel real Christmassy. It's not really simple. It's not really easy. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to have to deal with it. I don't want to think about that fact or the fact that this Christmas there will be children who die of preventable causes like hunger or medicine that we take for granted. That there will be parents in our world who only wish this Christmas is not that they get a Christmas moment, but it'll be that they can take care of their own children. I don't want to think about that. I just kind of want to ignore it and push it aside and get back to my Christmas. But it is so important we don't just ignore the mess. So important that we don't just go too quickly back to our comfortable, mess-free illusions of Christmas because Jesus did not come to give you a Publix commercial Christmas where everything was just simple and easy and there was no mess. He came into the mess of a world where world leaders slaughter innocent lives in order to maintain power and to pursue what they call the peace like a war in Ukraine, or the bombings in the Gaza Strip, or what we don't often like to think of, our own country's use of drone warfare, which has left many civilian non-combatants dead. To world leaders who look at things like this and call these lives acceptable losses in the pursuit of peace, we read stories like this and we know the prince of peace is weeping to people like us who look and say, well, that's just the way of the world. King Jesus says, it is not my way. You see, when I bring up these situations from our world today, there's something in you that wants to look away and go, hey, don't talk about that. That situation is more complicated than you're making it seem. That situation is more messy than you're making it seem. Just go back to talking about the Bible. But that's the point of the Bible. These Bible stories are not nice, simple stories that have an easy moral that helps you be a good person. The point of the Bible is this is the story of God interacting with human beings in the mess and the brokenness of our world and of their lives and of their families. And he steps into it and says, follow me and I will deliver you. But even before deliverance, he's just going to be with us. So we can't look away. Because to simply look away is to deny the reality of the world where God is meeting us. When Jesus was born, there was already a king of the Jews. 
the Romans had appointed a king over the area of Judea named Herod. And Herod did a lot to build up the prosperity and comfort of Judea. But he also had this terrifying dark side. As author Vinath Ramachandra reports, under Herod's rule, his favorite wife and two sons were strangled on suspicion of treason. His brother-in-law met with a drowning accident when he became too popular. Herod also ordered that nobles be executed on the day of his death to ensure national mourning. Roman Emperor Augustus is reported to have popularized the saying, better to be Herod's pig than his son. So when visitors from a foreign country come to Herod's palace and tell him about the coming birth of the Messiah, who would be the true king of the Jews, you can understand why Matthew writes, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Because tyrants as insecure and afraid as Herod are dangerous to all people, not just their enemies. And so Herod begins immediately asking his scholars and advisors where the Messiah is supposed to be born according to the scriptures. They tell him it will happen in Bethlehem. And he asks these foreign visitors, we call the Magi, to go and search carefully for the child as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. But the Magi are warned in a dream not to report back to Herod. And so after they visit the newborn Jesus, they return to their country without saying a word. But when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in his vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Scholars estimate that Bethlehem had a population not much more than a thousand people, and so probably around 20 infants would have been killed. And most likely a tragedy like this would have been covered up and lost to history. If it weren't for the fact that the target of this attempted execution was in reality the true king of the world, and now the story of the birth of the Messiah and the king of all kings is forever tied to the deaths of these innocent children. Now that's messy. It's not simple and easy, but that's the point. Part of what Matthew is doing is connecting the life of Jesus to the suffering of the world, and in particular, the suffering of Israel. He connects the life of Jesus first to the prophet Moses, you see, as a child, Moses also escaped the king's execution of baby boys in Egypt. And Matthew says that when Jesus returned from Egypt, it was somehow the fulfillment of prophet's words. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, these words are written about how God delivered Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And it says that Matthew is saying that was just a preview of how Jesus would save his people from slavery to sin and death. And it's meant to be a sign to the people of God that even in unimaginable suffering, God is at work to deliver his people. But the suffering doesn't disappear, which is why Matthew connects Jesus' life, not only to Moses, but to another time of incredible suffering for the people of Israel. Matthew writes about this event. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. The prophet Jeremiah lived during one of the darkest periods of Israel's history, when Jerusalem was conquered and destroyed by the Babylonians. The kind of brutality and violence that those in the city experienced is unimaginable to any of us. And it became a defining moment for the people of Israel as it felt like God had abandoned them. They were driven as slaves and exiles out of the land God had promised them and brought them to win as first led them out of slavery. It was devastating. And these words of Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted are not a reference to one specific person at the time of Jeremiah. Rachel was the favorite wife of Jacob the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jeremiah is using this poetic imagery to not only capture all the mothers of those who have been killed weeping, but also the Spirit of God, weeping like a mother mourning for her children. God is with us in our mourning, in our weeping, in all of our tragedies. We are not alone. But what Matthew is doing for his readers is poetically saying, the horrors of slavery and genocide in Egypt 
and of the war and suffering when Babylon destroyed Jerusalem. All of that finds its final fulfillment in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He has come to put an end to all sin, all evil, and all suffering. But before the end of things, He has come to be with us in our suffering. He doesn't look away. He is with us. So what good does it do for us to not simply look away? First, I don't want to give some kind of false notion that this is even about what's good for us. Uh, Nor do I want you to think that you always have to choose, I'm never going to look away from anything. I don't want to give the impression that what Jesus is wanting for you to do is just to watch story after story of suffering in our world because, well, that somehow makes you a better and more compassionate person or that you have to care about everything that's happening or get involved with everything that's going on. I'm not even saying that what you should do is go out looking for suffering in the world. I think suffering is unavoidable in a world of sin. I think in a world of evil, suffering is unavoidable. Yet for many of us, we have insulated our lives in such a way that if I want to look away, I have the privilege to do so. And if you're in the middle of a season, though, of grief or walking beside someone who is suffering, you don't need to feel guilty for regularly taking breaks and looking away. It's necessary. My wife and I have been foster parents. Now we're adoptive parents. I know how guilty I often feel for taking time to rest and relax because I know those who are near to me are suffering, but... God is not calling you to simply be miserable because somehow being miserable makes you a better person. But I also know that in our modern world, for many of us, it is very easy and desirable to insulate ourselves from the suffering of others. We are looking to make our lives and our Christmases as comfortable and easy and convenient as they can be. And so when we hear about the suffering of others or the tragedy on the news, we either want to look away or our first thought is, what can I do to fix this? What can I do to fix this? How can I solve this problem? And there's a lot in that feeling that does come from a godly place of love and compassion. We want to alleviate the suffering of others, and when we can't, we should. But it's also that feeling, it's why we often say and do stupid things for people who are grieving, because we think, I can fix this for them. And if you've ever been in a place of grief, you know what it is to have well-meaning people come and say things to you that are more harmful than they are helpful. Because they're trying to just fix it. And though, once again, a lot of that is about the other person. I want to fix it for this other person. A lot of what it is, is when I look at you suffering, I suffer a little bit alongside of you. And I would really like to fix it so I don't have to feel that bad anymore. It's what they don't tell you when you're a parent is, Having a child is like having an exposed nerve that's walking around bumping into things and getting hurt. And a lot of our attempts as parents to fix our kids isn't as much about love as it is every time you do something stupid, I'm the one that freaks out about it. Every time you do something stupid, I'm the one who gets hurt. So if you could stop doing something stupid, I'd stop getting hurt. We're trying to fix something. And a lot of it's about the other person, but a lot of it is about ourselves. Because I just don't like the way that feels. Christmas is the reminder that Jesus did not only come into the world to deliver it, but to be with us. To be with us. 
Jesus could have showed up. No birth, no childhood. He could have just shown up, a fully formed adult, taught for a little bit to get a crowd, been crucified and said, okay, the whole deal's done. But Jesus, this is what Christmas reminds us, Jesus is born and then we've got basically 30 years in between his birth and when he starts ministry where we don't know what's going on. He's mostly living in quiet. Well, we know about his parents where his parents didn't have a lot of money. So he's mostly living around the poor. And he's not fixing anything. He's just being with them for 30 years. And just as God has sent us into a world to bring his healing and his light to those who are suffering, he has also sent us to just be with those who suffer. Often those who are in grief, what they need most from us is not our words or our solutions or, hey, you should try this or do this. What they often need is just our presence. Because grief and suffering feel incredibly lonely and isolating. And when a follower of Jesus shows up, who has the Spirit of God living within them, there is a special way God is even more present when they are together. And so when we show up, God shows up in an even more powerful way. So there's this biblical idea that helps us in situations where we can't fix anything. What are you going to do about the suffering of the world? You got the solution right now? You got the money to handle it? You got the solution to fix it? What do you do about it? It's this biblical idea called lament. Now, lament is similar to grief, that it's reckoning with the brokenness and the suffering and the tragedies that occur in this life. But there is a distinction. Grief is about me coming to terms with my own suffering or the suffering of someone else or the loss of someone else. It's me going through a process of going from loss to acceptance. We all need to learn how to grieve well. But lament is not about how you get through sorrow. Lament is about living in the sorrow. Lament is about gathering up the sorrow of this world, the brokenness of this world, and you present it before God. It's the same way that in praise, what we are supposed to be doing is joining with everything that has breath to gather up all the praises of the world. And we who have voices to do so can give voice to the praise that the heavens can't do, that the animals can't do, that creation can't do. We can voice the praise, glory to God in the highest. Lament is me gathering up the suffering of the world somehow and giving voice to it. Often, lament sounds like anger and hurt and confusion and doubt. It may even be confession of sin. It may be even a few accusations to God that maybe He doesn't care as much about the brokenness as you care about the brokenness. It often sounds like sitting and saying, How long, God? How long are you going to let this situation keep going on? God, don't you see this? It might even sound like accusing God of not caring about a situation. And guess what? God can handle that. In fact, in the Psalms, God-inspired words, He gives us language to say these things to Him. There is no amount of anger, there is no accusation you could lay against God that God did not first give you language to say to Him. He gave you the language to tell him, I don't think you care about me anymore. I don't think you're speaking to me anymore. I don't think you're with me anymore. And not just for your own suffering. 
but for the suffering of the world. The Apostle Paul says that all creation groans. It's groaning, it's wordless. The suffering of this world, the suffering of sin and death and decay. It just is groaning. You feel it in our world. There are places you've been in our world where you just feel something is broken here. And that believers who know the good that God has stored up in the new creation, we are too to groan inwardly in our spirits. So when I see suffering, when I hear of a tragedy, when my heart is moved in compassion, we should not turn away from it quickly and try to get back to business as usual. We need to learn how to lament. We need to learn how to join the Spirit of God in weeping over the suffering of the, of the children of God. Because without lament, often believers have lost our ability to respond like Christ in situations. We look at our world and we have the same solutions as people who don't believe in God. I mean, listen, the next time there's a debate about what should happen with the problems in our world, it's going to sound something like, let's throw the military at it, or let's throw some money at it. We got two problems. How are we going to fix this situation? Economic sanctions or sending in some troops? And believers have to have an ability to sit with the suffering of this world and not go to fix-it quick solutions of militarism and consumerism. We have to sit somewhere in between in the suffering of this world to just be with the suffering. And I don't want to rush past this, so I've invited Ed to come and lead us in a time of prayerful lament. So I want to ask us to do something all together for the next few minutes. Has there been something happened in the last year that you've just been trying to ignore? You just don't want to think about some point of hurt or anger or sorrow that is just easier to overlook. Is there something that when you're really quiet it worries you? someone that's really disappointed you and you're just trying to look away and keep going. Or maybe you are a person that looks at our world and the things that are happening in our world. Or you look at the life of somebody that you care about and you know and it's just difficult and you don't know what to do. And so you just want to look away and do something else. Not forever, but certainly not at Christmas. You just want Christmas to be simple and clean. So for the next few minutes, can we all just not look away? Can we all just look at it? If you're like me, you don't like having to deal with complicated or messy situations. You just want to, want to do something. But God has called us to meet him in the reality that is our groaning world. So would you try before your heavenly father to just look at it and maybe you need to cry out to him and you don't have to hold anything back. As Nathan's already said, the Bible gives us language in the book of Psalms. It's called the Psalms of Lament and they express sorrow and anger and frustration and confusion at God, what's going on in the world and how you can't do anything about it. And when you look at the world, you're just frustrated with how it is. And maybe it's even more personal. It's not just the world. You look at your life, you look at your family, you look at people 
day. You care about it, and it just breaks your heart. So for the next few minutes, some of the psalms of lament are going to come on the screen. As you read the words, if any of the words, any of the language, any of the prayers that you see, they point to a particular situation in your life or for a loved one, would you just pause? Hold on to those words. Talk to God about it. And so I'll say what we say around here all the time. We've said it already this morning. You don't have to fake anything around here. We're not trying to create some emotional experience if that's not what you feel. If nothing comes to your mind, or you're not even sure you believe like we do that any of the problems that are going on, that they really affect you, don't, don't feel the need to fake a prayer. Maybe just spend these times saying, Lord, have mercy on us. And remind yourself, God's love and nearness, he's always close to the brokenhearted. He's always with us. So let's take a moment. Now be with God in lament. Father in heaven, thank you for the words you give us to cry out to you about the mess in our world and in our own lives. For people who've just spoken to you now about some deeply personal situation in their lives, I bring them comfort and peace. Help them know that you're near to them like you promised. And when you lead each one of us to follow your example and drawing near to the brokenhearted, in the name of Jesus we pray.
So what does it look like for us to meet God in the mess of our world this Christmas? I think first you have to begin with anything that God might have brought your, to your attention during that time. I think it's Dallas Willard who says that uh, the first response of love is to give your attention to something. To just not look away from it. Something going on in your life this Christmas season that you don't want to look away from. I know for me and my family, this holiday season, every holiday season is incredibly difficult. And I said to uh, one of my girls the other day, you know, we may just be sad every Christmas. We may just be sad every Christmas. And that'll be okay. Because God is sad too with us. He's there with us. So I asked them, maybe you just don't look away. And I don't mean forever, but I just mean, would whatever you feel, you just talk to God about that. Would you meet the Messiah in the mess of our world? Don't rush through it. Don't try to solve it right away. I'm not saying there's nothing you can do. I'm not saying there's nothing you should do. But the first response is just to cry out to your Heavenly Father and to give attention to Him, to allow Jesus' Spirit to be with you, to let Emmanuel be who He is and who He wants to be with you, God with us. Maybe you need to weep. Maybe you need to yell. Maybe you need to question God. Maybe you need to sit down with a friend or maybe a counselor and you need to just vent and not about what frustrates you in this particular situation or the thing that you wish would be different. So often we stay on the surface of our feelings to be able to get deeper and say, this is what I'm afraid of. This is what hurts me. Just to let it out. But for many of us who this whole sermon has felt foreign to you because this is not your experience of the holidays. It is normally pretty simple and easy and comfortable. Maybe for you, you need to get near to some people who are suffering and just be with them. One of the most powerful things about what we're going to do this Saturday on Christmas in Coweta is not the gifts that we bought for people today. Often we think that's the most powerful thing, that we we fixed the problem. They needed Christmas gifts, and we fixed it. And that is important, and this is an important thing that we've done. But often the most important thing that we do is at this event when we are face-to-face with family. And you walk alongside somebody, or you wrap gifts with somebody, and you speak with them, and you get to know them. And for a minute, you start to hear the stories of your life. And many of us will sit and we'll pray with people, and when we hear their stories, I see so many people from our church are just moved to tears. You want to weep alongside people, and then there's something in us, often when you hear a story, and it jumps up in you, I can fix that. I can get that taken care of for you. I can solve that. And then pretty quickly, you start to realize, oh, I can't do this for everybody. And even what I could do probably wouldn't solve what's really going on, and so eventually you have to just slow down and not fix anything and just be with someone. And when you pray with them, something happens within your spirit. And I've heard so many people say this, you feel closer to God. You feel closer to God in the moment when you sit and you're just with someone who is suffering because maybe what God said is true and He is near to the brokenhearted. Maybe what Jesus said is true is that when you clothe somebody or you serve someone in need, you're actually serving Him, that there is a special way that He is present, and that maybe the luxury that most of us thought we had to have a simple and easy Christmas was somehow keeping from us 
the ability to experience God in the way that those who are suffering and who are poor and who are in need experience Him. And so maybe what you need in the midst of a messy moment is to just be with God in the way that He said He would show up. So maybe you need to serve at Christmas in Coweta this Saturday. Maybe you need to check that box. And maybe some of you, you need to walk this year. You need to let someone else wrap gifts, and you need to go, and you need to walk with somebody, and it will be uncomfortable because you say, I'm not a people person. But you can be with somebody. You can just listen to somebody. Maybe this Christmas is the time of year that you normally give a little more money. Like I said, that's an important thing. You should do that. So maybe this year you should challenge yourself, I'm going to be with somebody who is in need this year. Maybe you know someone in your life who's in need right now and you need to have lunch with them and you need to go visit with them and not say anything but listen. Maybe instead of handing someone you meet on the street some money for lunch, maybe you need to go to lunch with them. Maybe we have our NEST program. We've been talking to you guys about our emergency shelter team for those who are houseless right now. And we've had two weeks of it. It looks like probably this week is going to happen again. And maybe you need to say, hey, I would go, and I'm not even going to fix anything. There's nothing we're fixing for anyone, but I'm going to be with somebody. I'm going to have a meal with somebody. I'm going to listen to somebody this week. And maybe in doing so, I would draw nearer to the God that I follow. Maybe in being with and not fixing, you will, you will meet Emmanuel in the messy parts of life because ultimately, is that not the goal that we said we wanted? We wanted to just be with Jesus. That he is the greatest good that we could ever find. One of my favorite Christmas songs is a hymn by Charles Wesley called Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And most churches don't sing this a lot, probably because that's a terrible name for a song. So everyone just decided, we're not going to sing this one. We all collectively decided. But Charles and his brother, John Wesley, led this incredible reform of the church centered around actually following the commands of Jesus. And they were so methodical about it, people started to call them Methodists. There we go. So people started actually doing it. And most, most of the time early on in their reform, it was mostly about how do we be with the poor? How do we serve those in need, who are vulnerable. In fact, several historians credit the Wesleyan movement for why England never had a violent revolution to overthrow their monarchy, like happened in France and in so many other countries, because the poor were so cared for by the social welfare programs of the church that they said, well, let the king and queen have whatever they want to have. We're fine. So if you really like the crown, you can thank Charles and John Wesley for that. <laughs> if you're tired of the royal wedding stuff, you can take it up with them. But one Christmas, while serving orphans and widows in England, Charles was reading the ancient prophecies about the Messiah coming to save the poor. And it led him to this great lament that still thousands of years after Jesus had come, and so many of these ancient prophecies were, he's going to come to bring justice and equity, and that the poor will be lifted up. And he looked around him and saw there's still so many people who are suffering around him. And it motivated him not only to continue his work to fix the problem, but to look forward to the day when Jesus would return again because it's Jesus who is going to put an end to all suffering in this world. And our goal is to just be with Him. And so, maybe you need to just be 
with Jesus by being with those in need this year. Maybe you're not sure what you believe about Jesus, and I would say before you figure all this out, because this was heavy, you need to just meet Jesus. You need to be with Him. Maybe you need to go to that one-hour Next Steps class, meet some people in our community who be with them as they are being with Jesus, and maybe they will draw you towards the King who came to be with those who suffer. I hope you'll do that. Right now, I want to give us a moment to be with Jesus, and we're going to do that by receiving the Lord's Supper. And so Ed's going to come and lead us.